The multi-country tour of Club and Country continues live from Canada. I'm Wes Bowling. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And you are? Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. If I sound a little under the weather, I had a, an extremely good time at Geodis Park for the U.S. Women's National Team game yesterday, and I'm feeling it um, here Monday morning, so, uh, yeah. She believes Cup, a good a good 1-0 win, around 25,000 fans there, I understand. Pretty great atmosphere, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was really cool. Uh, unfortunately, it was, it was the supporters' end that was not very full. I, I would have thought there would be more people, especially uh, technically a holiday weekend, I guess, but... Um, it was it was a super good atmosphere. It is the first time I have been to Geodis Park and sat in the stands rather than, uh, you know, gone and, and worked basically. So it was a really cool experience, and I was I was very happy to uh, to get that experience and and learn what it's like uh, on the other side of that that glass. There, I guess. Good experience. Yeah, it was awesome. I really I really enjoyed it. We were up on the uh, in the upper deck in the south end. Um, some good good folks from the Scuffed podcast hung out. I uh, sent them to ML Rose in the morning uh, for the for the Tottenham West Ham game, and uh, yeah, Sorry it was a, it was a good time. Some good people. Yeah. Oh, Sorry about the is. game, not about going to ML Rose. That's fantastic. We'll talk <laughs> more in a minute about what you got at ML Rose. And, and again, as I referenced right off the bat, recording from the road again. Uh, proud to say the podcast mic will be back in my uh, proximity next week. So sorry for slightly tinny audio again today. This is not uh, an AirPod sponsored podcast, clearly, because we don't believe in that product enough to uh, <laughs> that. That's why it's, it's that's why we're not sponsored by Apple. Um, yeah. Eight goals and two friendly. Get us ready for the 2023 season as Nashville SD blows up against Philadelphia and Cincinnati and uh, it's time to to preview the season Tim we're going to go through our predictions our superlatives some key questions some picks around the league uh I think this is something that most every podcast in MLS is doing so as usual we'll try to do it a little differently and a little better as we go Um, and we're going to talk about what has to happen at each position group for Nashville SC to have the kind of season uh, that it wants to have. Uh, but Tim, of course, this all means that hot Tim winter has come to a close. The thaw is complete. Uh, and uh, well, it was a fun off season. Yeah. And, and obviously it's not, you know, there's no guarantees that you don't see some, some additions in personnel uh, while this, while this window is open, but uh, yeah, it looks like the, the majority of what we are expecting to see hit the field uh, in Geodis Park in, in just a couple of days by the time people are listening to this, which is very exciting, is is what we have seen. And, and it is time for the, the offseason to to blissfully fade off into <laughs> oblivion. So in the early shout today, we'll take a quick look at that latest preseason action. A 2-0 win over Philadelphia, 6-3 over Cincy. We should note both of those were in 120 minutes. And in fact, uh, five of those eight Nashville SC goals happened in uh, minutes 90 to 120. So just a qualifier there, but still good to see that attacking performance. Then our preseason predictions and superlatives, position group previews. Um, who's going to surprise us this year? How's the team going to finish? We'll preview the rest of the league uh, and then answer a few mailbag questions, including a good one from Finn. Are people sleeping on NSC this year? Not a largely changed side, but that's not all bad, is it? Uh, we'll get into that, but first, Tim ML Rose. So, tell me about your experience going with the the scuffed folks and others before the She Believes Cup match. Yeah, it was. Uh, they, I don't remember what they were going to do. I think they were planning to tailgate, but the lots opened later than they thought. And I said, "Hey, well, 
if you guys want to take a 14 minute and 14 minutes and 20 second walk or or drive over there at that moro so a, a bunch of a bunch of folks probably seven or eight folks stopped in there and had their their first experience i uh, had a had a few beers more than uh, any food <laughs> uh, early in the morning uh on sunday morning but yeah it was really it was a good time and um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that uh, not only do people listen to the podcast and, and learn more about Nashville Soccer Club, but they listen to the podcast and learn about a great place that's a walkable distance from Geodis Park. And I'm excited to park at Emil Rose for Saturday's match. Probably have a quick beer there before heading to the tailgate. Just want to say hi to some supporters groups I've not been able to see pregame really ever when I was in the radio role. Uh, and then postgame. Meet me at ML Rose, folks, on Saturday. It's a 3.30 game, so just in time for a quick bite, uh, maybe some Carolina sweets and a beer to recap the match. I'm going to be there, office hours for club and country at ML Rose uh, postgame. So 3.30 kickoff means, what, around probably 6 o'clock. I'll walk back over to my parking spot over there, have a drink with whoever's around, and look forward to saying hello to a lot of folks wearing gold at ML Rose. Again, if you're just joining this podcast as a listener, welcome of 8th Avenue location, just about a 10-15 minute walk away from Geodis Park. I'm told there may be parking challenges again this year. Color me shocked. Um, not suggesting that everyone in the world park at ML Rose and walk to the match, but just a few of you, if it's what you need to do. Um, I heard them actually suggesting that to somebody last year when I was there after a game. So they don't mind. Just make sure if you do park there, consume something. Go have a burger, have a beer, <laughs> uh, have some fries. Uh, have some of the healthier options. And again, you can turn any of those meat options into impossible options. That is vegetarian, vegan uh, options as well. Uh, so a burger place truly for everybody and for the Nashville soccer community. All right, Tim, you ready to get into this uh, wealth of preseason preview action? Mm-hmm. Let's roll. Uh, and we'll roll with the early shout and start with uh, the preseason finish with a flourish. Our Gold Nuggets today recapping Nashville's final preseason action, a 2-0 win over Philadelphia earlier in the week and a 6-3 win over Cincinnati on the weekend. The brace from Teal Bunbury between minutes 90 and 120 against the Union. 6-3 over Cincy. It was 3-0 Nashville pretty early in that one. Cincy equalized uh, before the 90 were up, and then Alex Wheels' brace fueled a three-goal spurt between minutes 90 and 120. Uh, so goals total on the week from Leal, Bunbury, Schaffelberg, Zubak. Wheel had a couple. Bunbury with three total between those two matches. Uh, and so the question here from Aaron, I think, is the question we're all asking, Tim. It's about this, uh, you know, purported attacking resurgence, if you want to say that in preseason. Does the game against Cincy show that Gary was just experimenting before and finally found the right formula? That's what Aaron asks. I'll qualify it, as we always do with preseason. We did not see this action uh, besides a few clips. We don't know exactly how the attacking played out. Uh, however, I don't think anybody's going to be discouraged to see eight goals in the final two preseason matches after the team had not really done much at all in the attack before that. Yeah, I think uh, the qualifier that we usually give that not only do we not see it, yes, but um, preseason means nothing. Uh, and earlier in preseason, we were using that as kind of a way to say, hey, don't panic. It's going to be okay. And it's the opposite today. It's just maybe a little bit of wet blanketing from me. But um, preseason also means nothing when preseason goes well. It just really doesn't have a ton of meaningful impact uh, results-wise. Obviously, you want the guys to go out and get fit. You want the guys to go out and, and build the chemistry with their teammates. But the results themselves um, don't really mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, the, the goals could be, uh, you know, just a, a complete fluke occurrence. And you get six of them. 
and you could be pouring on the attack and, and end up with zero goals just kind of out of bad luck. And I don't think that the six goal game is is necessarily your better attacking game. Um, I don't think all six of the goals <laughs> this weekend were fluky, but it is t- something to keep in mind that, um, yeah, it's it's better to score them than to not score them. But just like bad results don't mean a whole lot in terms of preseason uh, as you project it into the regular season, the opposite is true as well. Nashville did start largely a first choice 11 against Cincy uh, after employing mostly reserves to start the game against Philly. You'd expect that, right? You rotate guys in and you want to play your your best 11 that you can and that tune up a week before that first game to kind of simulate that first match. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple of noteworthy guys missing, Hani Mukhtar and CJ Sapong. What have you heard? Uh, what might you know about about their absence? Precautionary, do you think? Did Gary Smith address that in the in the post-friendly presser? Yeah, I asked him about it, and I was I was kind of surprised. He also he added Dax um, to to the group of guys that that had sat out, which I didn't even realize because you know a, a midfielder isn't going to make the score sheet, and you don't necessarily trust the the substitutions that they put on Twitter to be a hundred percent of everybody who plays. But um, he he said he said everybody who is out is is very much in the race um, in terms of possibly or it sounds like likely being healthy to play this weekend. So. Yeah, you'd, you'd rather have those guys playing and, and healthy and ready to kind of get that warm-up match in. But at this stage, it does sound like Gary's pretty confident that at, at least Honey and CJ will be um, you know, back to where they need to be in terms of making the contributions to the starting lineup. I think we know Gary speak by now well enough to know that in the race is the classic coverall, right? It could be that yeah, these guys yeah. are completely ready, good to go, and he just wanted to rest them to have them fresh, and he doesn't want opponents mm-hmm. to know that they're going to be there. Or it could be that they're not. <laughs> and he doesn't want to to know yeah. that. Uh, he's he. I don't think he's ever 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 heard him lie at a press conference. Uh, but he he can obscure mm-hmm. with the best of them, and uh, so we'll we'll have, certainly see who's going to be available for that first match. Not alarm bells though necessarily um, cued just by their absence. Leal did return. Randall Leal uh, involved after a slow start, uh, just kind of getting going physically after a couple of minor issues. And, and good to see Tim that that he's factoring in and seems to be at least if you look at the score sheet. Um, contributing to what Nashville SD is doing. I think he's going to be so important for this team this year. Yeah, it's something that we we talked about in terms of of what may, might make the 2023 season better than 2022 without adding more attacking firepower. Well, if you just get the Randall Layall that you expect to get on a year-after-year year basis that we didn't really see enough of last year, he was banged up a little bit. Uh, you know, just the the effectiveness. He he was unlucky as well. So if we get a, a version of Randall Layall that is the one that we saw for the first couple MLS seasons, I think it, it raises the ceiling on this team a lot, and also possibly raises the floor too. I think a healthy Randall Layall can be key to a lot of that. Okay, with that, we are putting a bow on Hot Tim Winter. It's over. It's done. Preseason finish, and now we're looking forward at this weekend. As we know, many of you will be listening. Uh, to this podcast, either in the buildup this week, of course, but even maybe on the way to the tailgate. Uh, So let's talk about preseason predictions and superlatives. The first thing we're going to do is walk through what Nashville SC needs this year from each group on the pitch, keepers, defenders, midfielders, and attackers. What does it need? And we're keeping that intentionally vague because it could be personnel. It could be stats. uh, It it could be, you know, kind of all over the, the gamut of what Nashville SE needs to get from these folks to have a successful season. And by successful, we'll define that as maintaining the standard, making the playoffs, having you know a chance to host a playoff game and, and see what happens from there. Uh, so we'll start with keepers, Tim. What is it that Nashville needs from the men in net to sustain the excellence with which it has uh, trod across MLS in its first three seasons? 
Yeah, for me, it's it's Elliot Panico needs to emerge as somebody who can be not just a guy who gets a few games here and there, but he can be somebody who can actually legitimately compete for the starting job with Joe Willis. And that's no knock on Joe. Obviously, we've been very high on Joe on this pod over the course of its of its tenure so far. But when you have a legitimate goalkeeper battle, you know, it's not like a, a quarterback where if you have two, you have zero. If you have two goalkeepers, uh, you have you have two goalkeepers and you want <laughs> to have a good goalkeeper who's who's, uh, you know, in his mid 20s rather than one who's in his mid 30s, as you project. Obviously, for this year, it's it's far less important that that Panico, you know, not only catches, but makes the pass on the depth chart of Willis. But going forward, you want him to prove to be the better option in the long run so that you can make sure the future of the franchise is in good shape, too. I think that's it for me as well. I think the way I quantify that is that Elliot Panico starts at least five MLS matches. In addition to that, I think Gary Smith goes to Joe Willis before the season even starts and says, Joe, you've been incredible for us. For your efforts, you get to sit in the press box for every cup match, U.S. Open Cup, Leagues Cup, or stay home depending on travel. Um, and that's, uh, again, that's a credit to Joe. It's not a knock on Joe that, that he needs to still be the guy, I believe. Uh, throughout the course of the season. I don't I don't think Nashville wants to go Elliot one day, Joe the next. But if Joe has a step back, if he needs to see things differently, uh, I think uh, Gary said last year a couple of times, I, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Elliot needs to be the guy to come in and and not um, cue any kind of panic, if you will, pun intended, from, from the technical staff when he's in there. I think that's it. And I think Panico has to make that step this year for his own career as well. This is a huge opportunity for him. Um, and it's a chance for Nashville to start that, that session process uh, from Joe Willits, who, again, I don't think either of us would have many negative things to say about as a keeper for this team. All right, moving on to defender now. I'm going stat here for Nashville FC's back line. I think that with some of the question marks that, that Nashville may have in attack, I think Nashville needs to rank in the top five in Major League Soccer and expected goals against. Last year, they were ninth, uh, but they allowed the fourth fewest goals. In the spirit of this podcast, we're going XG versus actual goals because actual goals can be a function of luck, whereas XG is probably a better reflection of how you're playing in the attack and defensively. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say a top five XG against ranking, which is going to be hard to achieve when when Dave Romney comes out, Jack Mayer comes in. We believe in Jack Mayer, but that's a transition, a big one. Um, and you've got you know, Shaq Moore in uh, the entire time at right back, who's going to be a more aggressive option than what Nashville employed for the bulk of last year, of course, pre-Shaq coming in. But I think they're going to have to have that defensive solidity, Tim, to be able to achieve at the level they've achieved in the past where the attack could be great, but I think has some question marks. Yeah, for me, it's it's a guy that you mentioned a couple times there, um, Shaq Moore. I think he needs to have an all MLS. It doesn't he doesn't need to be first 11, but he could certainly be like second choice 11 and mm-hmm. all MLS to really give Nashville SC what they need from the defensive unit. Obviously, he came in midway last year and, and didn't quite settle in as quickly as everyone had been hoping, but came in and, and did a pretty good job. We need we need to see a little bit more than that from Shaq this year. And and some of it will be what he provides, yes, defensively, but what he provides in attack. Um we're gonna we're gonna see a team that uh is is going to be reliant on get, getting the ball in from the wings a little bit. And he's a guy who has a very specific talent in terms of crossing the ball from the from the sideline. And that's something that Nashville can really benefit from if even if it's just whipping it into the mixer and and hoping for for things to happen in the box there it's something that Shaq can provide and if he can do that well well you know Nashville maybe has some of the some of the uh the defensive metrics that you just mentioned there it would be a, a pretty good shout to say Shaq has a, a strong opportunity to end up as a, an all MLS player 
I would say not only can he do that, but he should do that. He should be in the the best 33, if you will. If there's a top, we'll, top we'll, we'll let him know. We'll say, hey, yeah. hey, Shaq, here's what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he hadn't thought about that at all. Not a bit. Uh, but yeah. I think that was the question I was going to ask you in follow up that you covered, which is that it's not just what he does defensively. It's what he does in the build up and the attack as well, which is going to be crucial, especially in that overlap with the speedy wings that Nashville has brought in and will employ mm-hmm. this year. In midfield, what does Nashville need for its midfielders? We're going wonky stats here again for me. And that is Nashville needs to make at least four times more passes into the penalty area than crosses. By reference, it was about three times more last year as Nashville ranked fourth lowest in the league and passes into the 18, second highest in crosses into the 18. Might seem counterintuitive because with Nashville speed on the wing they've got, there's going to be a lot of those take it to the inline, you know, deke a guy, cross it in. That's fine. That's great. Um, but I think it needs to come from the right players. And if it comes from the right players, it might look a little more like Schaffelberg, Picot, Leal, taking it in, dragging it back into the box with a pass toward a Hani, a CJ, or a Teal, than a speculative cross from a Dan Lovett um, or or even from a Shaq Moore from a, you know, an outside the, the final third position. So a bit wonky here, but I think what Nashville wants to do, and to sum that idea up, they want to use that speed along the flanks to open up the middle of the field for higher percentage passes mm-hmm. into dangerous positions. Um, the best passing teams in MLS into the 18 had about five times as more uh, more passes into the 18 as they did crosses. Um, if Nashville can get to like four times, I think that shows the crosses are tapering back just a little bit in a positive way. They're less speculative, and, and you're replacing that with those higher percentage passes. That was really nerdy stuff. Uh, for the diehards there, I guess, but but hopefully a reflection of how Nashville uh, seeks to operate this year. Yeah, for me, it's it's not quite the opposite, but uh, a very different thing is I, I think they need to lead Major League Soccer in through balls to the forwards and wingers. Mm. Uh, this is a team that is going that is finally built to play in transition the way that they have always kind of wanted to play in transition. Now they have the ability to do it. When you add Pico, when you have a whole year worth of Schaffelberg, when you have guys like Shaq who can who can overlap too, you want those two central midfielders. Um, obviously, a lot of teams attacking midfielders are are going to have a ton of through balls to their forwards, just more than Nashville is going to have. But from the true holding midfield spot, Nashville's guys need to lead the league because it will mean that they're playing in transition and they're and they're you know not necessarily banging balls over the top, but they are providing quick offense, and that's how this Nashville SC has always been at its best when it's in terms of generating what the attack is going to be able to, to provide. I love that. I think that is a great metric. And by the way, we're tracking these and we'll try our best to keep up with these throughout the course of the season to see how Nashville's performing um, at forward. Then what does Nashville need up top besides, you know, a lot of goals. Yeah. So I, I, I included the wingers with, with the forwards, but it's, it kind of is a, a forward oriented question too. And they need honey Mukhtar to have fewer assists than all of the non-layall wingers. Last year was pretty even. Um, Hani, Hani uh, outperformed those guys just a little bit. Uh, hold on, let me scroll over here. He had six assists, and not and um, Leal had five assists to come second on the team. These are primary assists only, obviously not the MLS assists. But other wingers, Luke Hawkinson had three. Um, you know, Schaffelberg had just one. Wheel had just one. Those are, you know, that's I guess that's that's specifically the number that that Hani had. So they they tied him last year. They need to be more productive and in, in in ways that provide him more help. Even if he's on the end of a lot of those assists, scoring the goals, something that uh, Nashville really needs to diversify the attack a little bit. So so asking less out of Hani at forward um, is something that 
maybe counterintuitive, but the reasons for it, uh, I think, make Nashville SC have a better year. I think you're right on. I, I think that that's the challenge, right? And I think I've got a, a, a different um, number there for you, but same concept, which is that CJ Sapong plus Teal Bunbury's goals need to be greater than or equal to Hani Mukhtar's goals. Uh, last year, Hani had 23. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think Hani had 23. CJ and Teal combined for 12, I think. Like, that that needs to regulate a little bit. So, and that is a lot to ask, but CJ Sapong has scored double-digit goals every other year of his career. He's never done it in consecutive years. If he can have 10, mm-hmm. if Teal can have 8, and Hani has 18, I think that is a... A, you know, a, a recipe for an attack that's going to be much tougher to stop. Even if the total goals numbers are comparable, you've got a, a more diversified attack there that's going to, I think, have a better chance to win matches. And, and I think it's going to keep teams on their you know, on their heels a little more and therefore make them score a little mm-hmm. bit less too to, to, to compensate for that. So I think it all adds up. You know, I, I don't, I don't think this happens by the way. I don't, I just don't, I don't yeah. see it. I it's, think, it's, I you're asking a lot of those guys. Still yeah. The guy, it is a lot to ask, of course, especially when we're talking about guys like Leal getting more involved in the attack and there's going to be a shout for him in a minute here. He's going to score plenty as well. Right. And if he scores, it's going to take away from what CJ and Bunbury score. But I think that, that it's an ambitious ask, but it is one that is a sign of real success. If, if they can achieve that, while Hani stays healthy, and this is not a situation where Hani can only score five because he's out half the year, um, I think you know if you look at Sapong and Bunbury combining for between sixteen to eighteen goals, and Hani doing close to that as well, you've got a team that's going to be in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. I, I think there's no question. Yeah, they had they had five apiece last year. Sapong did it on eight point one xg, and I know people kind of have said, "Oh, that just means CJ's a bad finisher." But um, we're kind of finishing truthers around here. I think it's just kind of statistical statistical randomness. Um, even if he just hit the eight that he had last year, um, if he had converted, you know, those last three that that did not get converted, it would have been a different story for Nashville SC. Probably, you know, mm-hmm. three goals doesn't sound like a whole lot, but three goals over the course of the year can can be crucial. Uh, one more goal over the course of the year, one one fewer holy smokes we have to get Chicharito an, another penalty try uh, <laughs> over the course of the year. Nashville would have been hosting a playoff game, so um, the margins here are really slim, and it's something that. Um, yeah, if those if those guys can even approach what Hani provides, uh, I think it would be a, huge for this team because I don't think Hani is going to see a huge drop off. He's not going to score twenty three goals again, um, but he's not going to he's not going to score ten either unless, unless um, knock on wood, there's some sort of injury issue that keeps him out. Hani's over under what seventeen and a half, something around there. Yeah, probably. Not, this seems fair. This seems fair. Cool. Yeah, uh, we're going to assume that he will be the team MVP again this year in our next uh, line of superlatives, which uh, are, um, you know, the, we're going to, we're going to predict the awards at the end of the season, but, but in a kind of a different way, we're going to have the non honey Mukhtar team MVP, the uh, Lebo Moloto unsung MVP in honor of Nashville's legendary USL midfielder. That wasn't always appreciated, um, you know, beneath the likes of a, of a Daniel Rios dominating in year two of USL, but the young player of the year, a player under, 26 we'll say 25 years old somewhere around there and then uh, we'll get into some team predictions but we'll start uh, uh, again with that non-Hani Mukhtar team MVP Tim who's going to be the the best player on this team not wearing the number 10 yeah I mean the obvious choice is is Walker Zimmerman but I think Nashville is probably better off if it ends up being somebody like Joe Willis because because if Willis uh, you know Zimmerman can play awesome and his best his best play is 
is saving you like a third of a goal. If Willis makes his best play, he is saving a, a single goal. Like <laughs> there's a one-to-one conversion rate on on what Willis can provide for you in a way that you know Hani has a one-to-one conversion rate in terms of scoring on the other end. So I think when you look at who can most impact results, it's the goalkeeper. And I think if if you know we're taking Hani off the table and and saying who who can really uh, raise the ceiling on this team. I think Willis having the sort of year that he had a couple years ago, he was fine last year, but uh, the year that he had a couple years ago was so much better. If he can have that sort of year again, I think it spells really good things. In 2021, when he was nominated as a finalist for goalkeeper of the year and did indeed save Nashville many times last year, he was just kind of a step above replacement level uh, for this team. I'll say Randall Leal. Uh, I think that he needs mm-hmm. to be the player that uh, resembles the one that had 17 goal contributions in 2021. He had just nine last year and injuries limited him really in both of those Mm -hmm. years, but he only played 18 fewer minutes last year than the year before. So essentially the same amount of game action and about half the production. Uh, But I think the personnel changes for this team benefit him as much as anyone. We've talked about him maybe playing that, you know, that former Hani role of being beneath the strikers and and being in a very active position for this team coming in off the wing and having a free role while the other guys chalk on the boots on the other side. I think that all spells a very good season for him that could completely make moot my idea that Sapong and Bunbury need to um, add up to a quick Hani <laughs> because if Randall Leal has an eight to 10 goal season, has as many assists as that, uh, it's going to put Nashville, I think, in a, in a really good position. And I think he's set up to do that. I think he's still in his prime. Yeah. He's gotten past those injury issues. His pride probably really hurt from not being able to make that Costa Rican World Cup team. Uh, I think he's going to be driven to succeed. And I think with a little of that World Cup pressure off of him, he's going to be freed up to really make some things happen. Uh, yeah, and, and his uh, his relationship with the Costa Rica men's national team has... Uh, obviously something that he's he's very proud to represent the Ticos, but it has been a little bit fraught. And I think not having the the pressure to perform, to not only get into the Costa Rica team, but trying to get Costa Rica to the World Cup and all those sorts of things. I think that pressure being alleviated with the just where we are in the cycle is really going to help him play a lot more freely and, and better. Let's go to our Lebo Meloto unsung MVP. Lebo, the, uh, the star... Uh, number 10, largely, of Nashville SD's two USL teams. Um, actually had a, a a brace in the first radio match I ever called, Mother's Day of 2018. A legend. Uh, and uh, so, so here we're talking about the guy that we're going to have to tell the rest of the league about. We here in Nashville are going to have to point out and say, hey, this is the guy that actually got things done for Nashville this year that you're not discussing. And Tim, I'll take the obvious choice here, which is I think it's going to be Sean Davis. Um, He's a guy that Mm -hmm. if he does his job, nobody's going to know it, (laughs) most likely. Not going to make a lot of flashy plays. If he doesn't do his job, everyone's going to notice some issues with Nashville's midfield. And and he's having to hold down that aging midfield. I don't think that either of us is saying that Dax or Anibal is done, right? I think both those guys are going to play some really good soccer in some good minutes this year. But Sean Davis is going to be the constant in midfield. In his second year with Nashville, he's going to be doing the job that he was brought in to do. And he's going to play. He's going to start thirty plus matches if he's healthy. Uh, I think that that's something we're going to have to mm-hmm. uh, have to watch. But I, I think that should certainly be the expectation. He, he's supporting two things here. He's supporting Jack Mayer's transition into a regular starting role by providing some cover, you know, from a from a deep lying midfield spot. But from that spot, also seeding effective passes into the attack and learning a lot. I'm sure from Dax McCarty and Onibal about the art of spurring counterattacks, which this team's going to need to do. So again, I think if he does his job this year, not many people outside of Nashville are going to sing his praises. Uh, if he doesn't do that job, it's going to stand out. And, and we're going to be looking at defensive midfield as a weakness for this team. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously not only because of who the personnel are in that position, but also because of how important the position has been to Nashville SC. That is kind of the the Nashville fans might not even even think it's unsung because it, it just makes so much sense. I'm going to go with uh, Jack Mayer. Um, Nashville SC was confident enough in him to sell Dave Romney this offseason. It really is that simple. He's not going to get a lot of plaudits because he's playing next to Walker Zimmerman and Walker is going to get all the headlines. But I think Jack is is in line to have a really good year and he's going to have to step up his game because he's going to be relied upon in a way that he has never been in the past for this team. I think he has the ability to do it. Yeah, looking forward to, to seeing what he can do. And that leads to our young player of the year. That's a player, we'll say under 26 years old for this team. So not a ton of options here, but I think important to to look at the future. For Philly, for Philly it's like, oh, yes, the under 13s. <laughs> <laughs> for Nashville, it's under 26. Right. Um, seriously, mm-hmm. a bunch of 16-year-olds darting around for the Union, and they're still going to win MLS Cup. Spoiler alert. Um, mm-hmm. Young player of the year for you. Is it, is it Jack, or do you think somebody else takes that? Yeah. Part? Yep, I've got Jack. Um, there are some good options on this team. Is um, I mean, again, under under twenty six is is a high bar within the league, or it's a an easy bar to clear within the league. But within this Nashville team, this is a team that um, and we talked about it this offseason is, is is a pretty old one, and there are a few younger players who who meet that uh, criterion, but not a ton of them, and not a ton of them are going to start. Um, I think yours is, is probably the other the other obvious one here. It's pretty obvious that Jacob Schaffelberg, uh, and there aren't, as you said, many options here. Guys that are playing regularly for this club, we're talking about, you know, Elliot Panico, Luke Hawkinson, Brian Anuga, Shaq Moore technically 20, 26. We said under 26, though, didn't we? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, even Zubak, and then we get into Mayer and Schaffelberg is, is the one that I would point to here. I think, you know, Nashville is going to have a rotation of wings. You've mentioned before that it's important that the minutes are spread relatively evenly here. And a lot of these guys get love. You can ride the hot hand. And I think Schaffelberg will be the hot hand at points this year. Um, his speed's not going to take a day off. Um, and I think he's going to put himself in good position to have, or somewhere around eight assists this year. I think he can, he can really mm-hmm. have a productive, uh, attacking year. He's a much better fit with Nashville than what Bob Bradley was looking to do in Toronto. And that's not a slight to him. It's a stylistic and a tactical thing. And I think he's found his home here. Um, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to extrapolate the really good few games he had in Nashville toward the end of the year. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway and say that, that he can, <laughs> he can be a huge factor for this team and, and, uh, it will be the, the best young player. But, but I don't think that is casting a shadow on Jack Mayer at all. I just think, you know, if a guy produces well defensively and a guy produces well offensively and you've already chosen the defender, I'm going to choose Shuffleberg. Uh, so, so we'll <laughs> go with that. All right. Team predictions. Now, how's this team going to finish? We're going to go three different areas here. Scoring rank in MLS by XG. Defensive rank by XG allowed, and then of course the points and the league finish. And I'll start with scoring. I still think this is a, a top ten XG team in Major League Soccer, toward the bottom of that eight, nine, ten. Last year they were third in the Western Conference and top ten overall in MLS, which I think is something that people didn't realize because they they saw Hani get a disproportionate number of those goals and they thought, well, the attack's not good otherwise. I mean, overall because of what Hani did and because of what other guys shipped in, it's pretty good attack. Um, I think this team is still among the top third in MLS in attacking. I think I could see them taking a step up uh, in that category based on the speed they br- brought in on the flanks, based on Randall Leal having a better year, and based on one of CJ Sapong or Teal Bunbury emerging as the player we know them to be. Heck, if Teal Bunbury had played the full season, he might have been a double-digit goal scorer the way he was playing mm-hmm. for Nashville, Tim. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good benchmark to aim for. Um, Nashville will have a much easier travel situation in the East, but I think the East is 
uh, a slightly better conference than the West this upcoming year. I think it has been the last couple of years as well. The margins there are really th- slim. Like the the conferences are basically the same, and I think that's one of the reasons that um, Major League Soccer uh, wants to continue to play cross conference games when uh, they get to fifty teams or whatever it is. But they do need to um, to play better to get the same results than they got last year because I do think it is a slightly more difficult schedule. And I think that the the benchmark that you said to aim for top ten and, and expected goals in Major League Soccer is exactly uh, where they should be uh, trying to get. Let's get defensive then. Uh, what's your prediction as to how Nashville finishes uh, along that back line? Number one in expected goals against in, in wow. the major league soccer. Wow. I think they, I think this team, again, because last year was such a weird year, people kind of are assuming that this team is bad in, in a lot of ways. And, and defensively, last year was not the sort of year that the first couple of years had been. And I think people are forgetting just how talented and how how locked down this team has has been over the years. Um, obviously, there's just been a few of them, but um, you know, with a a home stadium that the team is used to, with a, a much less difficult travel schedule, I think they'll be able to play. Um, you know, it might not make fans super happy, but there, I think there are times where they'll play some Gary Ball, as as it's called, and and I think that will allow them to take the air out of the ball a little bit, slow down games, and and win some some one zeros like they weren't doing as much of last year as they had the first couple of years. I think that that means a progression uh, of of Jack Mayer too. That that is exactly mm-hmm. what he needs to do, and that it's in line with your prediction of what he's going to do based on your other uh, your other uh, you know, accolades you've already given him. I think because of that transition, you could see Nashville kind of, you know, not struggle. It's too strong a word, but maybe not thrive, especially early in the year defensively. And I think that might lead to a slight step back. I think this defense is still the best, you know, in best you know, top half of MLS and, and close to the top third. I think maybe the 10th, 11th best XG against is, is, is a place they could reside and can't afford to reside if they attack the way that, that they're expecting to attack this year. Um, I think also you you may see the club take a more attacking posture at times. And if they do that, they're going to mm-hmm. give up probably a few more goals as a result. So I don't think that that anything, you know, inside of the top 10, 11th best defense is is a bad year for this team. I think it can lead to good things. But if they finish first, oh, my, watch out. This team is going to contend uh, for MLS Cup if, if they have the best XG against team in Major League Soccer, no matter how their attack does. Uh, they're going to be in contention. So, Tim, I, I kind of hope to see see your uh, your story arc there for sure. Uh, getting <laughs> yeah, to points. I mean, my story my story arc my story arc is like, oh yes, be the best team. Yes, it, it's a very satisfying arc if it comes to fruition. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, guys. Yeah. Uh, points in league finish. Then, all right. So, where's this team going to end? I think you know we see a team this year that that probably is you know a, a strong counterattacking team using that speed, opening up the middle of the field, putting a little more pressure space-wise then on its central defensive midfield and on its back line, which could lead to a few more goals conceded. I think we see some inconsistency, um, especially on the road. But I think this team's going to learn how to play at home much better, and it's going to turn Jota's Park into mm-hmm. more of the fortress it was intended to be and was not last year. I think that results in a sixth-place finish in the Eastern Conference on 48 points. I think this is a team that probably sweats it out a little bit toward decision day uh, but is above that line for much of the year one of those that that you say eh, it's a playoff team sixth in the east um but not you know not getting it done on the last day i think i think they're going to be four or five points above that line of usually around 44 or 45 points and and a good team i don't think this is an elite team i think it's a good team that's going to continue to be consistent 
um, but but has the projectability of some of the things we we say happen, you know, to, to get up to third or fourth with with really no problem. Yeah, I'm a little bit higher on on the team here. I think that they're going to finish on 52 points, which is just a couple points higher than they had last year. I believe they finished on 50. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they finished fourth in in the Eastern Conference. Um, You mentioned the thing that is that is most important to me. Obviously, we've talked about how last year seemed to be a bit of an anomalously bad year in some ways, especially when it comes to luck. Um, You know, Nashville SC uh, had a goal differential of 11. Uh, That that was good for, I think, fourth fifth sixth seventh in the league or no sixth in the league they did not finish sixth overall in the league because uh three of the teams ahead of them were were uh, eastern conference teams but i think the the way the results stacked up and then they were an xg underachiever last year in a way that i don't think repeats but most importantly they are used to their home park now they had a worse record at home than they had on the road last year they were 7 5 and 5 uh, away and 6 5 and 6 in geodis park um, I think if they can get that to even just like kind of a an average or above average home performance, maybe something like what Dallas did last year, 10, three, and four, all of a sudden you have you have quite a bit more uh, to to go to go on. Um, I don't think they'll they'll be quite as bad on the road as Dallas was last year, but I do think that there's a situation where if you just turn two of those draws into wins, people look at last year differently. And I think that, the expectation in terms of you know the, the x points out of out of what Nashville got were probably uh, underachieved and i think they need to um you know change very little to have a better year than they had last year okay mls us open cup leagues cup does this team play in a final or a trophy in 2023 uh yeah i think they i think they play for the us open cup that's a, a good one actually i like the depth of this team and I think they could prioritize that uh, depending on how things roll throughout the season. So I, I like that. Um, I'll say no just to counter you uh, and maybe be right, 50% <laughs> chance uh, or better probably. But uh, I think there's certainly an opportunity for that. In just a moment, we'll give you our uh, league-wide predictions. But first, ML Rose, just a reminder, I mentioned it a minute ago. I'll be stopping by ML Rose uh, after uh, Saturday's opener to to grab a beer and say hello to folks who are there. There'll be a lot of people in gold. Um, so I'm probably going to be wearing like a gray or maybe even black in the new kit. I'll be wearing something other than gold or black to differentiate myself for those who, you know, may not recognize me. I'll be at the bar. Wife and baby are still going to be out of town. I'm up here visiting them right now in Canada. And so I'm going to be flying solo and having a good time and, um, either, you know, driving home after that or maybe Ubering home, uh, depending on the plans for the <laughs> day. Uh, so come say hi. ML Rose, great place to grab, um, burgers and one of the best craft beer lists in town local regional and tim this is the fun part right and and you experienced it last week which is not just talking about this great place and going occasionally off season but going around a match day it's why mls wants to partner with us because they want to be the place mm-hmm. that people go before matches and sounds like there was a robust crowd for you there before the she believes cup match on sunday yeah it's it's the place that uh you know we talk about it being one that wants to be in uh, the soccer conversation and and they're in our soccer conversation every week on this podcast and they 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 live it they don't just talk it and it's it's exciting to be able to to show some people from out of town a, a sponsor of of this podcast and and give them the the opportunity to uh learn why we were so excited to partner with Rose. it's a place that that you and i have both been going before they sponsored the podcast and we were very excited when they were the ones who, who wanted to hop on board with us so it is a situation that um you know we would love to continue hearing your stories about 
going to ML Rose before and after games. And um, unfortunately, sometimes you might run into West there, but um, it is it is the situation. <laughs> yeah. It's a situation yeah, that, be, that we're excited about. I'll be wearing an alternate color so you know who to avoid at ML Rose. That's really it. That's it. Uh, it yeah, it's, it's just such a good place. It is. Um, it's a community gathering spot, uh, unlike really any other around soccer in this town at this point, at least around the stadium. But they also have locations in West Nashville, the Capitol View area, uh, Mount Juliet, and I believe coming soon to Murfreesboro as well. So very eager to see them continue to grow and, and, and to partner with them. And I can't wait to, to be getting MLROs within the next week after my uh, I've been home since like February 4th. So excited to get home and, and get right to MLROs this weekend. All right. So let's let's go outside in and, and quickly give our predictions um, around Major League Soccer. And then we'll get into a couple of quick mailbag questions to get you guys out of here. Uh, first, let's start with the top four in each conference in, in the regular season standings. And, you know, as we look at the Eastern Conference, Tim, I think it's there for the taking. I think the top four playoff spots are really hard to project. It, it's a fool's errand every year to project what's going to happen in this league mm-hmm. is driven by parity. But outside of Philadelphia, who I think is probably a consensus top four, maybe a consensus top two pick in the East. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was thinking that. I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't like them not as teams, but as candidates for this. And so I got down to um, to, to three teams that I think will we'll work with Philadelphia to, to get that top spot. I think Orlando has made a lot of big improvements, and, and it's going to be a team that's going to contend. They've, they've upgraded in a lot of areas. I think they've, they've stayed somewhat consistent in some other spots on the field. That It's going to enable them to, to be maybe second or third in the Eastern Conference if they put that all together. Um, I think Toronto is too high budget to be bad again. <laughs> we'll see, but but Bob Bradley is going to have a, another year down to coalesce around this plan. They were very much in rebuilding mode last year, but when you have Insigne and Bernadeschi as your headliners, you know I, I think it's going to be a team that might lead Major League Soccer in scoring and might be top of the league in goals conceded too. <laughs> um, it's going to be really interesting equation for them, but I think they're a top four team, and I think New England gets back um, to somewhere around third or fourth. I don't think this is the dominant supporter shield contending New England team, but I think they are good enough to finish top four. Stepping out of that, Montreal with some turmoil, uh, losing their manager, Wilfred Nancy. They're going to be in a difficult spot. Atlanta is probably better this year, but probably not top four caliber yet, in my opinion. Uh, somebody like Columbus, I think, should be optimistic around Wilfred Nancy going there, but they're rebuilding a bit. Cucho Hernandez might lead the league in scoring as well. Um throwing out golden boot winners left and right here. Uh, and I think Cincinnati is the invoke pick here, Tim. Maybe you're going to have them on your list. I, I still think that there are enough defensive questions nah. that Cincinnati-Toronto – yeah, I, I know you're not going to do that. Cincinnati-Toronto <laughs> is going to be my favorite match to watch because it's going to be 5-4. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I think this is a good Cincinnati team. I think they might be a playoff team again. They probably are. But I just don't buy the love that they're getting as much respect as I have for Pat Noonan I think it's a fifth or sixth place Cincinnati team and not a second or third place. Yeah. Yeah. I think the easiest one is, is Philly number one, right? That, that's yep. not a guarantee that they finish there, but it's the pick that makes the most obvious sense out of the entire Eastern conference, expecting them to, uh, to repeat as, as the top team in the East seems like a really safe idea. Um, I have, uh, as I have previously already spoiled, uh, I have Nashville finishing fourth in the East. So um, that's obviously number four there. I am not sold on Toronto. Um, One win in their final nine games, they went 
one seven and one in their in their final stretch run there. And yes, some of that was because the season was over and they were just kind of going through the motions a little bit. But I think when you have guys coming over from you know major European leagues and they don't find success in major league soccer immediately, um, they can get frustrated and, and just kind of go through the motions. And you know the old the the old I thought I was going to be having a cigarette on the sideline. Uh, Higuain <laughs> quote. I th- yeah. I think some of their Italian guys. I think Italian. Um, guys are far more likely to smoke a cigarette on the sideline than even even Argentine guys too. Oh, totally. but, um, and then I have, totally. uh, I have, yeah, I have, I have New England. Um, I think like same thing that you said. I have them bouncing back. Um, I don't think it's it's likely that they have as unlucky a year as they had in attack last year. They have too much talent. Um, Bruce Arena um, has has shored up the defense uh, with um, unfortunately with Dave Romney <laughs> in front of um, in front of a keeper that somehow managed to be an upgrade on Matt Turner, which is like an insane <laughs> thing to say. Um, Georgie Petrovic. Yeah. Ge- Georgie yeah. Petrovic is, is, is unreal. Um, and then I think, um, oh, I had one. Oh, yeah, I think, I think Atlanta might even finish third actually. Uh, yes. It, it is a, a bit of a risk because they might be a little farther behind schedule than they should be, but they're, they're kind of my pick for, for how you looked at Toronto where they have too much talent to not uh, find success on the field. Uh, Miles Robinson should be back fully healthy from his ACL injury or Achilles injury, excuse me. And um, some of these guys should, uh, you know, kind of find their way under the best coach that, that Atlanta has had. Um, it's not a, obviously a ton of them. I think, I think, uh, yeah, that, uh, Tata Martino is overrated. I've made that point many times before. He was a good recruiter, but I think they have the best tactical coach that they've had, um, in Gonzalo. And I think that that's going to take them to where Atlanta fans kind of have felt that they should have been over the past couple of years. Let's head out west where again, I think there is a, a fairly clear top four pick and maybe top pick. And that's the reigning MLS cup champs, LAFC. I put them number one. I, I think, you know, they will have to deal with. CCL obviously this year, but they have continued to stock up that roster. They've continued mm-hmm. to prepare for the kind of depth they're going to need to, to stay yeah. strong in both. They have a different type of depth than any reigning MLS Cup champion has ever brought back. I would say um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're the best team. Uh, although they are going to be number one on my list too. We actually are going to have the same four teams in the same order here. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> um, I think. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I I think the depth that they have is is going to be a difference maker when it comes to succeeding in both CCL and uh, the regular season. Sorry, and there's there. a team that doesn't have to worry about that uh, this year, and that is Seattle, returning from the Club World Cup, but presumably with some some time to regather as opposed to having to rotate and um, and deal with a whole lot of roster uh, challenges through CCL. Seattle Founders number two for both of us. It sounds like. Uh, it's a club mm-hmm. that's just too good to stay down long, I think. And they never got it firing last year, but that's an extreme anomaly. They've made the playoffs um, every other year in their history, and that's going to continue with a strong finish here. Austin third, I think, uh, I won't speak for you here, but if we have the same list, they still have the pieces to, to be elite, and, and they've supplemented well. Uh, maybe can't replicate some of the, the luck that they had last year, but are still a top-four team. And Dallas, I think, is setting itself up to be – um, the Nashville of the West, perhaps in some ways, mm-hmm. in terms at least of results, extremely consistent. Um, you know, a good youth program that's starting to actually feed in and be retained as opposed to just immediately sold. Um, and you know, with with Jesus Ferreira up, up top, you know, as long as he's there, they're gonna they're gonna contend. Some bright young talent around him. LAFC, Seattle, Austin, Dallas, top four. Anything you want to add since you apparently have the same list? Great minds think alike. Yeah, you know what? I'm actually, I'm actually something you mentioned there about Austin's luck. I'm going to flip Dallas and Austin. Austin was 
so insanely lucky last year. Some of that is, you know, there are legitimate um, Sebastian Jerusi may be one of them. There are legitimate guys who can who can consistently outperform their expected goals. It's not uh, a regular occurrence, but there are guys who can do it. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips was one. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips has also picked Nashville SC to finish twelfth in the Eastern Conference. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think they have uh, a little too much. Too much uh, karmic come down uh, in order to finish third. So I'll have them finishing fourth instead and, and, and bump Dallas up ahead. So we won't fully embrace consensus, but we basically are in principle. Uh, Supporter yeah, Shield winners. Close I, enough. I'm going to go boring with Supporter Shield winners and say LAFC. They do it again. Yeah, I think Philly. Um, also, because I'm boring, I think what <laughs> Philly has done is, is more... Um, like system based and replicable LAFC obviously has the ability and the the desire to go out and get top talent and and win a bunch of really big games. I think what Philly can do is is have uh you know those young guys step up in situations without missing a beat and that has allowed them to kind of keep the train rolling over the years and and that's something that I think will pay off for them this year. Obviously they fell apart um towards the end of last year or they uh would have ended up um as the Supporter Shield winner last year. Mm-hmm. Um, LAFC took it on tiebreakers. I think this year Philly gets it, and I don't think they need tiebreakers to get there. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think all the things you just mentioned are why I've got them winning MLS Cup. Uh, taking for granted that that you know playoffs are a complete crapshoot, and that this is not mm-hmm. necessarily picking the best team. But I think Philly's one of the two best. I think they win it. I think you know perhaps LAFC has an off day, and Seattle pips them in the Western Conference Final, and it's Philly over a Seattle or, or a Dallas or an Austin, one of those other top four that we mentioned. I think it's Philadelphia's year to get this done. I think that the biggest question we had about them last year was was depth. It was They were starting the same 11 guys over and over and over again, and I think they've worked to supplement that depth um, in those starters, and I think that's going to be the key to push them over the top for MLS Cup. Yeah, I think they're due, right? Uh, not like in a baseball sense, but they've been so good um, that at a certain point, the breakthrough has to come. I think Jim Curtin um, has has been pretty open that like he might quit if he's asked to be the uh, an assistant or or the head coach for the U.S. men's national team. Um, he and a couple other coaches have kind of mentioned, "Hey, we're willing to do what it takes to get this this country a a World Cup." Uh, in 2026, I don't think necessarily that that's uh, maybe a realistic aim, but they want to do everything that they can. And you know, if he if he were to win MLS Cup, I do think he would say, "Okay, it's time to move on now." Um, if he doesn't, I think he sticks around as as long as he's able to. But um, I think he's too good of a coach to not have that that final piece of hardware to show for it. Yeah, when a guy's working, you know, from his hometown, he's all Philly. I think you know. There's reason to believe it would take something pretty special to get him to leave, but maybe that sense of accomplishment would be the thing that would push him out of his out of his nest a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, the nest that he himself has built <laughs> really, really well in Philadelphia. MVP, I'm going again with the brightest possible timeline for Toronto, I think, and and uh, top four finish uh, in the Eastern Conference. And if that happens, I think you're going to look at Lorenzo and Signe as the catalyst for that. I think he's going to score a lot of goals. Again, I think Toronto will give up a lot. They're going to be a blast to watch. And, and Insigne is going to score 20 goals or so. This is a guy who's still somewhat in his prime um, playing in Toronto and has just a talent differential above most other forwards and attackers in this league that is substantial. Uh, I think Insigne is your MVP with Hani Mukhtar finalist again in 2023. I think it's it's Sebastian Giroussi following the Hani Mukhtar playbook. is is finished second and finish a more distant second than a lot of people might have expected in one year. And then the following year, because of the buzz that you have from your runner-up campaign, 
uh, you are able to build on it and and end up winning uh, the MVP trophy the following year. I think that um, you know, regardless of what his stats look like, he's going to get a lot of hype. Um, that's just the the type of, of media ecosystem around the league. And I think Drew Ucy is is an exciting player. You know, like I mentioned, he is one who I do think has a legitimate ability to uh, systematically outperform his expected goal output. So it's something that if he does that, that you, you would be unwise to doubt him. There you have it. Okay. Well, let's go now from our predictions to the mailbag. And this is just a, a quick hitter here. And it's the first thing that we're going to address is what you mentioned a minute ago, which is that, uh, Tim, this team is is woefully, um, I think, undervalued <laughs> among the league. Finn Breedland saying the preseason predictions have taken a, a, a big swing from last year, where we were mentioned a lot of the top three team in the West. And, and by preseason predictions, I think Finn mostly referring to the official ones at MLSsoccer.com, 12, quote unquote, using the term loosely here, experts uh, predicting uh, what, mm-hmm. where Nashville's going to finish. Uh, and, and I did a little math here. So among the 12 experts, um, the average finish for Nashville eight this year. So out of the playoffs, seven of the 12 picked Nashville to miss the playoffs. You mentioned Bradley Wright Phillips as the outlier 12th in the East, the highest Tom Bogart at fourth in the East. Um, so Tom, David Goss, Jay Sam Jones and Kalen Kyle, the ones predicting Nashville to make the playoffs in case anybody needs to keep receipts for, for the other people there. Um, and Finn says critics are going to point out an aging midfield, low of failure, but I don't see how this squad is worse than last year's. Are people sleeping on Nashville this season, Tim? I think we've kind of already answered this on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I wrote a story about it uh, last week, maybe a couple weeks ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, but uh, it's one of the top few stories on the site still. But yeah, like you, you look at what this team did last year and, and people are saying, OK, that wasn't very good. They'll probably do the same thing again. But it's like, well, no, because what they did last year was still finish fifth. Um, they were one horrible upset by the Dynamo away from hosting a playoff game last year. And I, I think a lot of things that went wrong last year are not likely to repeat this year. Um, CJ Pong undershooting his expected goals by three, as we've already discussed a couple of times. I think Teal Bunbury having the sort of injury issues that he had last year. Um, and then you have guys like Fafa Pico and Jacob Schaffelberg that weren't with his team last year. I don't see a way in which there's a significant downgrade in, at any position, except for possibly at center back, because um, we're huge Dave Romney guys, obviously. I think Jack Mayer, they wouldn't have sold Romney if they didn't think Mayer was ready. But it's a, it's a big ask to say, okay, go out and perform like Dave Romney uh, would be performing if he were still on this team. That's the only area you can look at and say that's that's definitely worse than last year. Yeah, I think preseason predictions um, overvalue two things. Number one, doing something different because these guys want to be seen and gals want to be seen as I was the person who predicted X, Y, or Z. And so they're going to be a little you know, bold perhaps in some of those picks. I mean, as evidence of that, Nashville was picked in the top two in the Western Conference last year by nearly every expert. Uh, I think Nashville was the sexy team last year. I think Cincinnati is a team that's probably overvalued this year and is that sexy team this season. The other thing, it's going to, you know, overvalue off-season activity. And the fact that Nashville didn't go get a star number nine and didn't do a whole lot to its roster is going to be seen as a negative in their eyes versus others who have shinier objects. But again, Nashville is largely running it back with a team that was good last year uh, and mm-hmm. they supplemented a couple areas of weakness uh, from last year. So, uh, you know, again, I don't think either of us is picking a supporter shield year for Nashville, but would certainly agree, Finn, that that the um, MLS quote unquote intelligentsia, again, yeah. doing a lot of work there, <laughs> word, um, it, it, it's definitely underselling what this team can and should accomplish this year. Yeah. Nashville, yeah. what's one well, thing? We literally I, gave our. What? 
We, we literally gave our predictions. You know that neither of us, of us is picking a supporter shield here. Right. Dashville, what's one thing that has to happen this season for NSC to host a playoff game? What's one thing that can't happen or will be in danger of missing the playoffs altogether? I, I think in terms of what can't happen for Nashville, again, I'm going stat here. Something we're going to track throughout the course of the year. I don't think Hani Mukhtar can score more than 40% of this team's goals for Nashville to have the year at once. Uh, because it needs to uh, supplement his attacking efforts. Last year, he scored 44%, by the way, of Nashville's goals. Um, I don't think he can score fewer than 20% of Nashville's goals. That is, he needs to be involved. He needs to be essential. He doesn't need to be the only uh, attacker for this team. So um, I think if Hani stays healthy and others complement his efforts, staying healthy is going to take care of that 20% mark the way he performs. But I think he can't get into this area against him where he's scoring a disproportionate amount of this team's goals because it means they haven't found the attacking answer that they sought to address this offseason. Yeah, for me, for what has to happen, it's uh, that the Nashville needs to get uh, enough performances out of Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty. Those guys, uh, one or the other or both has to play in every single regular season game, I would say. Um, yes, obviously we think Sean Davis is is an incredible player in that central midfield, but um, who you put next to him if you don't have Dax in any ball last year, which is a pretty common <laughs> occurrence, unfortunately, um, over the course of, of their careers. Those guys have not been injury prone. Last year was kind of a bad luck year. For, again, like we were just saying with the... With the uh, overly cloudy predictions from the from the national media um that probably is another factor that goes into it but um you know you need those guys for their for their soccer ability but you need them for their leadership and i think that nashville could feel when they weren't on the field and yes sean davis is also a good leader but he's a different type of leader he's not the same sort of fiery emotional guy like you're going to get out of anibal or dax and i think having them available uh, more than they were last year would be a huge step in the right direction for this Nashville SC team and, and something that that um, I don't think it has to happen for them to host a home playoff game but I do think if it happens they're they're going to be good enough to host a home playoff game it is it is kind of a, a necessary and sufficient to, for them to host <laughs> that home playoff game I like it uh, Garrick with Jack Mayer most likely stepping up and filling in for Dave Romney what's the, what are the biggest differences in Jack's game to Dave. And what's the one thing Jack does better, one thing he does worse, or needs to improve on to have the level of success that Dave had? And so getting into a little bit of um, you know technical stuff here. Yeah, it's interesting because both Gary Smith and Mike Jacobs had consistently mentioned over the past three years that Jack Mayer is is the same sort of center back as Walker Zimmerman, and they've been looking for the same sort of center back as as Dave Romney for a while. Ahmed Longmire is the current uh, option that they're hoping um, you know meets that bar. Um, in the past, it's been a guy like Robert Castellanos, but uh, he is a a kind of bigger, maybe slightly more lumbering guy. Um, I don't think anybody would call him slow, but he's not going to be as fluidly mobile as Dave Romney was for this team. Um, Romney is a guy who has, has played as a fullback for uh, LA Galaxy in, in a past life. So he's a guy who does have very good like plus athleticism for the position. Um, Jack is Jack is going to be as good of a passer as, as Walker um, is in with more upside in the long run, I guess. Um, Walker obviously is, has gotten more ambitious in his three years in Nashville, but um, you know the ambition and the and the execution are not always 100% aligned at times. I think Jack has the potential to be just as ambitious, but um, maybe more consistent as as the time goes on and as he gets comfortable playing next to Walker. I think um, you know you're you're looking at two guys who are very similar in style. Jack is not going to be as 
you know, risk taking as as Walker, but he could be just as consistent. And I think you know, again, we we are big Dave Romney fans, but his his drop off last year was probably, uh, and it did come in like fits and starts, but it was probably one of the things that kept Nashville from achieving what it wanted to. And I think if you plug in Mayer and he um doesn't have the same upside as Romney, but he doesn't make a few of those mistakes, um, you, you could you know, classified as an upgrade, even um, as much as we do love Romney, it's possible to have an upgrade on him. Yeah. I think that, that that's the future projectability for sure is, is an upgrade there uh, from Romney to, to mayor in the long run at the very least. Uh, Wyatt with a couple of off the pitch questions to close us out. Number one, Tim, what do you think about the new kit? The the man in black, Johnny cash themed kit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, It's the, the theme itself is, is the whole story like aesthetically there's nothing special to it right it's just a yeah. um it's just a, a black kit um yes the details add a lot but the kind of the story of saying hey this is you know representing uh you know uh, an icon from from not from nashville but uh who who died in in nashville he lived most of his later life in nashville um and and that is is doing a lot of the lifting because the the design elements other than those very cool little details like the the man in black logo on the on the uh down on the corner there but yeah uh it's it's more about the about the the theme than the aesthetic i would say yeah a club official described this to me uh a little while ago as um you know, a, a big change, but not a risk all at the same time. I thought that was good because sometimes mm-hmm. with, with change comes comes risk to the extent that any kit change is risky, quote unquote, in the grand scheme of things. I like I like the idea. I think that I hope that it comes with a, a larger tribute to, to you know, old Nashville, to what is Nashville, the essence of Nashville. Because I think mm-hmm. the term uniquely Nashville maybe was overused a bit early on. Um and uh, it, this is the kind of thing I think the club needs to be doing. So credit to them. Uh, I think it's the next step beyond playing that Johnny Cash when teams walked out like they did last year. I think you can build a whole theme around this. And next up, supporters, back line. How about some Johnny Cash, uh, you know, themed chants and things like that? I think you could you could work with Folsom Prison pretty well and, and do some fun stuff with that. Just, just saying. Um, Jonas Park, a fortress <laughs> like Folsom Prison. You could write some tunes to that. I don't know. That's not my area of expertise. I'm going to get out of that real fast. Um, I like the kids. Not, <laughs> not, this is not kit. Well, radio, the will, but the, the symbolism <laughs> is nice. And then how do you think Apple TV is going to change MLS? That's why it's other question. I think in the near term, Wyatt, I think it's going to be much better, much more consistent production value. That's going to please existing fans. I don't know that this is something that is going to automatically lead to, you know, hundreds of thousands of new major league soccer fans just because it's on Apple TV. And so are they. Uh, I think having a large amount of those games for free early on might attract a few people, but I think to really clinch the deal, you need a story. You don't need content available. So it's going to be great for supporters. Uh, I think in the long run, if you want it to be great for everybody, you you pair this with a great documentary. Um, you know, you pair this with great, you know, even fictional content. My ultimate play is uh, that after this season, Ted Lasso goes to MLS and becomes an MLS manager, and you see ultimate integration of plot with mm-hmm. Apple's properties, and everybody will bash it. But uh, yeah, I'm kidding, of course. But I think you know Apple TV won't change MLS this year, but it's going to delight MLS diehards, and I think it will. It will year over year, leading toward that World Cup, become that platform for more and more fans to experience it more easily. And um, when fans are ready to invest in their local leagues leading up to 2026, it's going to be there. And that's when the real payoff yeah. is going to happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it's it's going to 
change the league in any appreciable way. It's just going to make it be better, a better what it is, a better version of itself, I guess. It's a new year, new look, new MLS. Um, but it, it's the production value is going to be amazing. The the some of that um, shoulder content that you mentioned with documentaries and all that sort of stuff is already out, and you can you can watch mm-hmm. it, and you can rewatch it. Those sorts of things are going to be awesome. They're not going to fundamentally change what Major League Soccer is. It's just going to be putting Major League Soccer in the best light, um, in the best production value, and and kind of getting the most out of what MLS has already been. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think you need to have some sort of fundamentally groundbreaking thing that that the Apple TV deal is able to just change and and make Major League Soccer something different. Um, but you do need to use it to get the most out of what it already is. And um, the one thing that could potentially uh, be be a boost is is the international distribution because um, there's been like a game of the week on DAZN over the years, but now every single game is going to be available in every country on, a, on a, an Apple device or any device that has the Apple TV app. That's going to, I think, really help get exposure for some of the players who are currently in the league, but it's also it's going to make some money for the league in terms of, okay, people are going to realize this is probably like the sixth or seventh best league in the world because <laughs> people don't really realize that at this stage. And I think that's going to really help with the reputation of Major League Soccer in the long run. Yeah, as we get toward the final whistle, that'll be my content recommendation uh, is just to play around on Apple TV with with other clubs. I think many of you have probably already watched Nashville's content. There's so much content there for other clubs too that uh, I'm a particular sucker for the drone tours that take you around the stadium, but also mix in history um, but I think, you know, not to be shills for the league or for Apple, but I think if if we as a group are going to be watching these games this year on Apple TV, it makes sense to familiarize ourselves with some of the other content around. Uh, I was pleased to see three different preseason matches um, run kind of as test broadcasts for, for Apple. Uh, we had Jake Zivin and Taylor Twelman on the call, for instance, for Orlando and New England, and about seven, seven and a half minute highlight recaps of each of those three matches afterwards. And that's what we can expect there. Uh, so just, you know, I think we need to make Apple TV second nature to us, fiddle around with it, know what's where uh, so that we can all discuss intelligently what's happening, not just in Nashville, but elsewhere. And I, I plan to watch most of those recaps each week, if not the full matches. I know, Tim, you ingest way more soccer than I do even uh, and <laughs> are going to be watching full matches of, uh, you know, rewatching yeah. Nashville matches and all of that um in in replay form and not just live um that's one thing i do want to get home from Rose in time for the second half of of games uh most of the games on uh on saturday because i want to see that whip around show they're going to be doing too so i think my mm-hmm. recommendation this week is I, i'm reading a soccer book right now i'll tell you about soon once i get deeper into it but but i think this week it's get used to apple tv get the muscle memory down yeah, that's that's probably how I'm going to spend most of the week. I hadn't even really thought about it. Like when the the uh, the MLS Live app or whatever the heck it's called, we should probably learn that <laughs> first dropped. I watched a few of the documentaries. Obviously, watched the Nashville one, but a few of the other ones as well. Um, some of them are very bad. DC United's was literally like 55 seconds. Um, they've they've since added more stuff, but yeah, I think just just consuming all of the stuff that's available on that app is is something that i'm really excited to do and then um i'm like you know nervous excitement uh, about the beginning of the season um i i can give people a content recommendation for later in the week to read whatever i write season preview wise but i haven't written it yet so uh we'll, we'll see that too clubcountryusa.com throughout the week i will also 
encourage folks to uh, to you know while you, while you're at the match, take a take an earbud and listen to the radio call of the game to be announced what that's going to be. Uh, but I think you know that's something I want to encourage people to do moving forward, even as I move out of that chair to stay engaged with with radio um, as well, and and it adds valuable context during the course of of the match. Obviously, if you're screaming as a supporter, it might be prohibitive to do that. But if you sit somewhere else, and, you, and that's what I'll be doing. I'm going to have you know sit with my whoever I'm at the game with, still working through my exact plans. There have a few options, and then I'll be listening uh, with the other other AirPod and, and encourage you to do the same. Uh, Tim, any final thoughts on the season before we go? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. That's all I've got. We are very ready. Thanks for putting up with, with suboptimal audio quality. Again, that will not be the case moving forward. Again, traveling in Canada. Thanks for your patience with that. Uh, we will see you at ML Rose after the match. Can't wait to say hello to you there. Thanks to ML Rose, Moon Taxi for the music, 440 Sports for the microphone. And, and this is the time, by the way, to share this podcast with your friends. Tell your people about uh, about this show. Um, very, very, very eager to grow this audience as the season starts, Tim, and, and continue to build this community. Yeah, and, and we're so excited for everybody who's been listening from the beginning. And, um, you know, we're even more excited to continue building this audience. And if you have been one of those people listening from the beginning and you know people who who don't give us a listen every week, uh, hit them upside the head and, and maybe cram one of Wes's ear pods in, <laughs> into their ear. <laughs> Let's go. Rather than violence, I just propose theft. Just steal their phone briefly and subscribe to the show, and they're going to get the notification every Tuesday morning and tune in. Guys, thank you so much. We will see you at Geodas Park. We'll see you at ML Rose, and we'll see you next week with our first match recap, Nashville NYC, Saturday. Talk to you soon.